Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. The Amethyst Oracle Divination with a Queer Twist. Delve into life, death, and everything betwixt, between, betwixt, and beyond. Between and beyond. Betwixt, between, and beyond. With a queer twist. The Amethyst Oracle. Divination with a queer twist. And now, here are your hosts, Charlie Harrington and Heisey Lovings. Do you have a concern, or is there a situation you'd like guidance with? Get your question ready and join us by calling 1-646-716-5510. Baptism of fire, I never knew what that meant, but now the flames are rising high. I haven't seen anything yet Because it's coming down around me And I am rising up Like a phoenix from the ashes Wings across the blue Only way out is through My revolutionary guests this month are Fred Isom and Elsa Elliott. Fred Isom is a body worker and intuitive life coach. The easiest and best way to contact Fred for information about or to take advantage of his body work and coaching services is through Facebook, and you can reach his page directly at facebook.com slash I-S-O-M as in Mary, F as in Frank, E. Elsa Elliott is a graduate of the Temple of Witchcraft Mystery School, a certified angel healing practitioner, a Massachusetts licensed clinical mental health counselor, a Reiki practitioner, an ordained minister, and lead minister of Scorpio at the Temple of Witchcraft in Salem, New Hampshire. She is an empath who has developed her healing style through extensive training, her own spiritual work, and ministry. She works with Reiki, oracle cards, visionary meditation, shamanic journeying, cognitive behavioral psychotherapy, Jungian concepts, mindfulness, and in sacred communion with the Ascended Masters or Mighty Dead, angels, deities, and ancestors. She has been helping to cross over the dead for 17 years. Elsa's professional experience includes intuitive reader and staff member at the former Unicorn Bookstore and Spirituality Resource Center in Arlington and Cambridge, Massachusetts, a career in social science research in the areas of substance abuse, mental health, homelessness, and criminal justice. So please join me in welcoming this month's revolutionary guests, Fred Isom and Elsa Elliott. Welcome, Elsa and Fred, and thank you so much for joining me here today on the show to talk about a very interesting topic that I think a lot of people perhaps have not really thought about in combination with each other. So welcome, Fred. Thank you. Well, thank you, I see. And welcome to you, Elsa. Thank you, I see. It's great to be here. Uh, so why don't we start by each of you just giving us a quick background on what it is that made you interested in the topic of magic and mental health uh, together that is the uh, conversation topic for today. Why don't we start with you, Elsa? Well, I, um, I've been interested in um, energetics and, uh, and the um, magic around things for many years, and I am also a mental health counselor. I have done a lot of work personally 
on my own issues with um, with traditional counselors and also with energetic counselors and Reiki practitioners. So I've come at it from many sides. So I I have a sense of the connection of it all because it's all connected. But it's a, we're holistic beings. So um, why um, that's why I've been interested in it and. Um, I also find as uh, I'm the empathic, so when I work with people, I often do pick up on the other energies around them, and uh, and sometimes I have to. When I was in a um, traditional counseling setting, I would have to do extra time to clear the emotions that got left in the room. Let's say, <laughs> and um, so I got very sensitive to to that. So I think that I think that covers it. And by traditional mental health setting, what do you mean by that versus what it is that you are in today? I was working um, in a community mental health center where um, it wasn't about energetics or um, uh, it was it was probably it was maybe maybe a little bit of holistic, but it was really about um, cognitive behavioral therapy and working with people to, um, you know, manage their medications. And they were not coming to me looking for my psychic part because that was not was part of the advertising. So I was uh, segmented during that time. And it, was, it wasn't good for me. <laughs> and I still did the magic work anyway, but I had to do it, you know, after they left. And, you know, for their highest good, harming none, basically, because um, energetic things got left in my office. But um, it wasn't something you could be open about in that setting. But now I have my own, um, you know, work that I'm doing uh, under my own shingle as a ordained minister and as a Reiki practitioner and as, you know, also the mental health is informing it. So I'm dealing actually probably more with the uh, energetics than I was before. So that's what I mean by, you know, conventional versus, you know, the, um, uh, how to put it, magical, I guess, is a, better, a good way to put it. And Fred, what is it that that piqued your interest regarding the combination of magic and mental health? Um, I have found that over the course of time, as I have uh, grown and developed with my learning and my practice as an intuitive coach, that there's always been a little bit of an emotional tie with anything that someone is just, you know, they're trying to process, they're trying to sort, they're trying to figure out what direction they want to take things, and I've always noticed that in the process of making that emotional connection with those items, um, those connections would actually influence the direction that they were going, and as I would be listening to how people were discussing these situations that they were trying to resolve and figure out, I, I would notice that, you know, at times that there would sometimes either be um, situations that people were either coming up with in their own head that were happening that's you know they just they seem to be coming up with them in their own head over something that was happening to them or I would actually hear about like you know regular you know, like day-to-day -day life situations that were really popping up and influencing them so it just kind of um, you know I, I would say that you know I found that there was definitely an intersection between um, you know mental health and, you know, the mystical, the magical, whatever you might, you know, however you might approach it, however you might say it. So that kind of began my interest in, okay, you know, this is an interesting place of going, you know, compare, contrast, you know, what's, um, you know, what's a healthy way of expressing emotion and, you know, being on a, you know, a, a mystical or metaphysical practice, so to speak, you know, what's a healthy way of expressing that? And then, you know, what's a way of allowing that be to your detriment? Since we keep using the term magic here, why don't each of you just give a, a brief definition or idea of what it is that you mean when we say the word magic? I would say that, well, magic is about working with um, the energies that are unseen to direct, um, to direct your will and attention to them. And just ask for, for me, it's asking for assistance from my unseen guides, um, deities, fairies, ancestors, to assist with whatever is best um, to do for, for me. Um, some people direct it more than that, um, but I'm kind of a, you know, for the highest good of all kind of witch. And um, so I, I, I see it as a way of working with what is unseen and 
bringing attention and care to that energy and directing it to the issue or problem um, to um, to get another level of clearing because there's there's a lot of clearing you can get through working through what you're thinking about it working through what you're feeling about it but all of that also translates into the energy around you so that's trying to bring all of it together in one place and helping to transform um, the situation or the energy or the whatever you're carrying around um, an issue and uh, bring it to healing. So that's that's how I'm saying magic in this context. Um, I would actually sort of say I would second what um, Elsa just said. That was actually a really nice way of um, encapsulating that and, and putting that. So I'm not sure how much more I can actually add to that. That's uh, <laughs> that's very much how I'm, I view it as well in this context. And I think that, uh, you know, if people hear this topic, magic and mental health, a lot of people would see it as two very opposed kind of things, with mental health being more scientific and magic being more, for lack of a better word, superstitious, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, although I think a lot of people don't realize they probably, I think they're more aware of these magical, mystical elements uh, than they either realize or would even admit to, because most people will walk into a room and say, oh my gosh, you could cut the tension with a knife. Right. And that, that immediately mm -hmm. shows us that A, people are totally aware of energy. <laughs> and B, yeah. they don't just dismiss those kind of things because they see it as a very real, visceral thing in the room. So right. what, what, what would you say to someone who tries to argue against these two being able to be combined because they would see magic or energy work as something that's more superstitious or something that's quote-unquote not real or in, in opposition with the scientific idea of mental health work? I actually, you know, I have this conversation with a fair number of my friends uh, rather often actually because a lot of my friends are scientists and they don't necessarily understand how this realm really operates because they're so, um, you know, I, I guess you could say that they are so, you know, oriented in their, in, in their training um, with, you know, scientific method and, you know, you know, I see this, I, you know, I see this and I bring in element X and this equals Y and therefore that is my result and this is how my hypothesis was tested. Um, and, you know, being able, you know, I, I look at them and I say, you know, I, I compare it to something along the lines of, well, even in the process of running an experiment, something where you're trying to collect data on something, there's always a variable that you can't control. There's always a variable that comes into play as a wild card, and you have to navigate your way around that wild card experience to get to hopefully get to the result that you're aiming for, correct? And Usually I get a bit of a, well, okay, yeah, you know, a skeptical acknowledgement of that statement. And, you know, I point out that, you know, whenever, you know, just as you pointed out a moment ago, I see whenever you walk, you know, sometimes when people walk into a room, they, they say the expression, you could, you could cut the tension in the room with a knife. There was a, there was an energetic someone did pick up on. It's not necessarily something that can be measured or quantify in any way, but at the same token, it's a valid experience because you are feeling it. You are experiencing it. Therefore, it exists. It is, it, you know, it's there. You can't just dismiss it or write it off because you experienced something and influenced you to notice it. So there's something to be said for recognizing that you can't always measure or say, you know, this is what this is because I can draw these fancy lines around it and, you know, I can give it form. And um, what I often say to people is um, I think that we just haven't um, created the, um, the machines or whatever that, or the mechanisms that can measure. You know, that there's been, we haven't seen everything that there is. You know, the science isn't done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's, there's still developing more and different ways of seeing things. So I would, I would say that um, it's, you know, a lot, a lot of what we do in mental health is in the black box. Many people really don't know how it works. They just know the relationship is an important part of it. And, um, you know, so there's a lot that we can't easily measure is that works in mental health. How does it work? We don't know. Why do some people react well when we really work on the cognitive aspect versus others feel better if we work on the feeling aspect, you know? So it's, it's really... Um, I think it's part and parcel of how mental health is. We, we don't have all the answers. It's, mental health is not as scientific as you, they'd like you to think. 
They, they can measure brain waves now, but there's a lot they don't understand about what they're seeing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, sometimes when I talk to people that are very scientifically minded, I'll say, well, but even in like medicine, um, when they're doing experiments, they'll use placebos and there there is a measurable placebo yeah. effect. And so yeah. using magic, almost regardless of whether the person believes it or not, it can actually have a placebo effect by having them do something that psychologically for them is taking action on whatever the issue is that they're trying to work on. Right, right. And having them feel like they have some power, which is often what we're, we're trying. A lot of what I do with people is try to empower them, you know, that they can affect change in their thoughts, you know, that they have control over how they choose to react to things. So that's definitely part of uh, mental health as well, just a way of empowering. And for those of us who do believe in magic, that doesn't take away from us believing that magic actually works. Correct. And that there's something there. It's just, it's just a way to, um, I guess, kind of calm someone's concerns or fears if they have some sort of reaction to a word like magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so and and so before we jump further into talking about these things together, I first want to mm-hmm. ask a question that I think is always really important. And I see this when people are like first drawn to or starting out in magic a lot of times as to the reasons why. When is it not appropriate to immediately go to magic for helping a mental health issue? Mm-hmm. Because like, like the store that I do readings in and things, you know, sometimes there will be people that come in and they'll say, well, I've been suffering from really severe depression and so I'm wondering what crystals I can get or what candle magic I could do to help, you know, alleviate and get rid of the depression. And sometimes I'll be like, well, we don't want to do that first necessarily. <laughs> Maybe we have to have you talk to somebody before you start doing that rather than thinking magic is going to be the cure for the mental health thing. Right. Hmm. I think it really depends on um, sometimes just the belief system of the person. I, I guess obviously it's someone who's seeking this, so I have to start there as opposed to imposing on someone who isn't seeking it. Um, <laughs> I think um, when you're dealing with psychosis, I would not use it at all. Um, obviously, I would go right away to um, more of a medication or you know other interventions for that because the person doesn't really know what they're seeing, and there's there's a lot of dysregulation to get under control. So obviously psychosis, I would not use it. Um, and I, I hear what you're saying about depression. I can see how having something that feels like they're focusing on something other than themselves for a moment can help get them out of the way, and perhaps they can get further into healing, but they do also have to talk to someone. Um, so I can, I can see using both there as long as the person understands, you know, you really get them to understand they can't just use the magic because it's, you know, and also with the magic, the way I think about it, like the shamanism and that work, sometimes you get to what the depression's about faster when you work with it that way. If the person's open and in a good space, you know, good enough space to do that. I guess it depends on how debilitated they are. Right. Um, well, and, so I'd and, say and, something like that, you know, just dysreg- really intense dysregulation and um, not having um, a sense of what is actually real versus what is um, going on in their head, that, you know, when they have a psychosis. And, and that's why, like, in, in terms of titling this show, when I said magic and mental health, you know, first of all, I didn't want to say magic versus mental health, you know, as if it's some sort no, of right. <laughs> contradictory yeah. thing. Um, but yeah. it's the and that I think is important where if somebody comes in, you don't just say, oh, you're suffering from depression. Here, burn this candle and that should do it versus making right. sure you say you can use this candle and let me give you the name and number of somebody that you also should talk to so that absolutely. so that the combination is there, I think, is yeah. the most important aspect. Oh, absolutely. I don't believe in, especially when someone's going through a very deep issue, you don't just do one thing. I, I believe in doing many things. <laughs> right. Because, you know, one thing will get further in and then the other um, methodology can then um, do more because you've gotten to a certain place with the magic, then you can actually think about what are you remembering, what are you seeing, what, is, what has been uncovered, like if it's a memory that you've uncovered through a journey. 
and you can understand more about how it's been driving, you know, the shadow's been driving as opposed to the self, you know, and try to get some sense of what's going on there. You know, so I think it's very much hand in hand. And also even like when you suggest, you know, the shamanism, the importance of having someone to help facilitate the process with you can be Absolutely. very important rather than just take this candle and go do something by yourself or go do this right. guided med meditation by yourself. You know, I had a client actually who decided to hop off and do their first uh, Vipassana retreat, silent retreat. And it was not a well-run retreat plus uh, I guess this person also had some other issues going on and they mm. had a psychotic break at the retreat yes. due to the the nature of the silence and the things that they were doing. And there again, though, is that importance of it. magic in and of itself isn't like just the only thing versus approaching it in the right way, using it in the right way, and having the proper people to help you in using it and, and crafting it the right way. Correct. I, I, like I said, the thing that seems to work most, that's the most effective part of, that we understand about how counseling works is the relationship. <laughs> that you're talking to someone and they're there for you and they're holding you in ways, perhaps you, you know, in, in space, holding space for you in ways that you haven't been able to hold for yourself. And that, that companionship is like the thing that consistently we find is what works in counseling. So I think that goes also with working through issues using using magic or energy or Reiki and things like that. So I think you have to have someone with you if, if you can. You know, it's important to have someone you can trust. And Fred, has, has there any, ever been a time for you when someone has come to you and you've said, now let's step back a minute and think about the best way to approach this rather than jumping right into the magical or energetic approach? Oh, absolutely. Um, whenever, you know, someone's coming to me and they're trying to, you know, sort out of it, you know, sort out an issue that they're either currently going through that's acting as a block toward achieving a goal or they just can't figure out how to get to their goal in general. Um, if I notice that you know, if I keep hearing them say that they, you know, they keep, you know, they keep sending out energies or they keep lighting candles to manifest this thing in their life or they keep having these thoughts and, you know, they keep having these thought processes and it sounds like, um, you know, I, I listen for if there's just like a cycle of thought that just keeps happening to the point where instead of hearing a step-by-step a, a -step plan to get from point A to point B to point C, if I just hear what literally sounds like a cycle of rumination that's actually like been, you know, that's been, you know, born from thinking about all this so much, then, you know, I... I tend to go the route of, you know, reminding them that, you know, having, you know, having goals, having objectives, having desires, things that they want to manifest in their life, that's, you know, that's absolutely an important thing. They should continue, you know, to endeavor to do those things. But, um, you know, thinking about something only goes so far. Um, you can, you know, you can, you can think about a process, you can think about a plan of attack, you can think about a plan of action or what you might want or how you might want things to look as much as you want. But until there's a plan of action that you're physically doing, that there's something that you're actually doing to make those things manifest, it's just, you know, it's, you know, it, it becomes a point of rumination to the point where, you know, it can actually be more, be more anxiety-inducing than anything else because you're not seeing anything come to fruition. You're having all these great ideas, but they're not going anywhere. And whenever I can tell someone is actually getting into that realm of, you know, ruminating so much that it's causing them anxiety, I try to help them, you know, realize, okay, you know, take a step back from what it is that you're doing. And while it's, you know, while you can absolutely carry that crystal on you to, you know, bring X energies into your life that will help you, you know, attain this goal, or you can light that candle, or you can burn that incense, or you can, you know, say that, you know, you can say that mantra to whatever guide or deity that you want to work with, you know, you still need to take those actions in everyday life to bring those things into reality. And um, there are times whenever I mention that whole take the action to bring those things into reality that, you know, oftentimes I will see, you know, people, their eyes will get kind of big, like, wait, I can't just think about this and it's going to manifest. <laughs> you know, there's, there's actually, you know, there's actually action steps that I have to put behind this. And that, you know, that makes, um, you know, it's sort of like the, uh, you know, it brings, it very much brings an earth elemental into, you know, 
to magic. You know, it's you know, it's the practical element of magic. You know, how are you going to manifest these things? Well, it's like when then, you pray for a new job and you don't send your resume out. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you you light the candle and say, I really want to meet someone, and you stay home, waiting for them mm-hmm. to ring the doorbell. And, well, and that action can be seeking out the professional. So it could be, yeah. yes, if you are dealing sure. with some depression, here is a magical, you know, thing or ritual or whatever process that you can do. But combined with this is also your action to seek out someone to also help you in that way. And I think it's, you know, in terms of our topic, too, that that's the action that sometimes is just part of the magical process. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Now, now that we have, you know, talked about that we can set aside the naysayers and all of that kind of thing great um, <laughs> so what what is the the process and approach that you take when someone comes to you to transition from hearing what it is that they're coming to you for to then how to start thinking about what treatment for lack of a better word to use to then what kind of magical processes or rituals and things to incorporate into that treatment process? There's one thing, one of the things that I didn't bring up that I think is relevant now is there's something called psychotherapeutic Reiki, where you work with um, the person and um, you sit with them and you sort out where in their body they're feeling, like if there's a well of sadness, you know, like every time they lose something, they immediately go into the depth of despair because there's this uh, well of feeling. So you're doing energy work. There, when you know, it's not, you don't start with it the first day. You set parameters. You get people thinking about if they feel it in their body and and um, getting a sense of of the shape of what they're doing. And then sit with them in Reiki, helping them. Um, Imagine draining the well into the universe of life force and that energy moving through. So that's um, some methodologies that I found are incredibly helpful. So that's the energetic way of working with it, of course, after you establish the parameters of what is this thing that they're, what are the symptoms and what, what kind of symptom reduction would be helpful and, you know, getting a sense of, you know, there's this well of sadness thing. Other things that have I've seen happen is just with people sitting with people and they um, keep going into this um, cycle of fear. And I often find that um, when they get in those cycles of fear, there are energetic entities also involved whose job used to be, you know, this is something I've encountered, used to be that they just clean up the energetic debris, detritus, you know, but they sometimes they get crossed over and get um, confounded and they, they start to get hungry and want more fear and they kind of make you fear. And it's trying to help detach them and send them into an energetic healing space and that helps the person then just deal with their own fear as opposed to the energy around them that is fear. So I've, I've had that kind of work. And um, so that's kind of some of the things I've seen and done. And I hope that answered the question. That's just where I went <laughs> when, you, when you brought it up. But I'm curious, how much do you incorporate what people might think of as more, you know, classic magic in terms of, you know, uh-huh. do this candle or use these herbs or uh, make this elixir or, you know, what, do this ritual and that kind of thing? Yeah, you know, to be honest, I haven't done a lot like that. You know, I probably would have people do a candle. Um, sometimes... Um, Sometimes when I'm speaking with someone, um, you get a sense that um, a, a, a conflict has created a thought form, getting to understand that that thought form exists and to um, send that thought form away or break it up, you know, by, you know, doing some magical work with that. But um, I, I haven't really done a lot where I've done the traditional candles, and I, I, I tend to focus a lot on energy work. And um, and also going into the root of the problem and becoming friends with the shadow and um, sorting out what the shadow is trying to get us aware of. And, you know, th- there's a form of therapy that really overlaps that I'm learning right now, still in the learning phase. It's called internal family systems. And it's very much about getting to know and understand the different parts of us that 
may be afraid or may be protecting us and understanding their stories so that then you can all work together to um, be more in self, you know, be more connected to your bornless one. So if, if to, to use that term, your higher self. So I guess the one ritual I would have people do the most is uh, the bornless rite, <laughs> where you invoke your higher self so that you are, you know, more connected to your true will as opposed to um, the will of the fearful parts of you and trying to live more in, in, um, in complete energy with yourself. Well, and I think that, you know, everything you've talked about too brings up a really good point because I think a lot of people might think if they're not familiar with what magic and that kind of uh, thing can entail and they have that perception is from media or whatever, you know, they, they're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to a therapist and they're going to have me standing around a cauldron and stirring this stuff <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, you know. Well, it's a really but, big cauldron. No, <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> Takes up the whole office except for the yes. house for you to lay on. Um, it's the hot tub therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But magic, but magic can take many forms, and you know, a lot of what you were talking right. about it also made me think of like expressive arts therapy, and in yeah. a sense, that's really doing a lot of magical work um, and 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 techniques, but you tell somebody that who either is in it or if you talked about what expressive art therapy is, somebody may not think about that as having anything to do with magic per se. Um, right. You know, so I, so it, you know, I think it's good for people to hear there's a much broader thought and definition around what magic is and can be rather than just that mm -hmm. very narrow perception that people um, often right. might have if they're not familiar with magic is and that kind of thing. Um, and Fred, so in your work now, I, well, I'll ask this two ways. One, how if and how you actually present um, magical techniques or things for people to do to clients that you see. But also because I know you do a lot of like massage work and that kind of thing. If we stay sure. in the energetic realm of magic, you could be doing magic on them without them even knowing. I realize that brings in the whole question of do you do that or not, but, you know, you could be running Reiki on someone while doing a massage and they may not even know that you're doing that and yet they come away with a very different feeling after coming out of that massage session sure. than they might with mm -hmm. another massage therapist, but not understand why it felt different. Can you talk a little bit just about how you may incorporate that into the work you do and or how you present it to clients to have them do it some way? Sure. Um, yeah, definitely whenever um, whenever the massage and body work come into play, um, I will definitely I will definitely bring up an emphasis on body work if I'm getting the impression or like a very distinctive nudge just from that person's energetic, from that person's spirit as they're, you know, as they're communicating to me, if there's something that just needs to be, if there's something that just needs a little bit of a nudge to be cleared away from them, that they're not necessarily able to do themselves, but you know, you know, maybe their guides are talking to me like, yeah, hey, you have the power to do this. Try to uh, try to encourage them to, you know, explore this option. You know, going in there, you know, and doing like you know reflexology or doing shiatsu or doing reiki on them in order to help. Um, and honestly, it's not even oftentimes the ability to shoo something away. It's just helping them clear their own energetic field so that they can release it themselves. Mm -hmm. And it allows it allows them to release the attachment to whatever it is that might be hovering around them or over them by simply allowing them to relax and let go of those thoughts by me helping them to relax. And then by helping them relax, you know, they have their, you know, you know, for you know, for whoever might be listening to this, and among the three of us, whenever you know, anytime we've had an experience on the massage table, to where the therapist or the body worker is really just getting into like an area of muscle tissue, we're just really just getting into their work on whatever part of our body that they're working on, and our brains just shut off, and we stop thinking, and we're just able to relax and be present in that moment. There's a lot of magical things actually happening emotionally and mentally in that moment because the brain's chatter finally stopped. We were able to finally relax and just let go of all that anxiety, all that tension, all that you know, all that muck. Stop thinking about it, and in that moment, we've actually been able to release the energetic attached to all that thought process. So I definitely. 
whenever I have the opportunity to go in and do things like that and people will agree to explore that option, I take it for all it's worth. Because in that moment, I'm actually, I'm, I, think I, I think I do a lot of good helping people release the connections to those energetics and help them move on from there. And even if I have a client who, you know, if somebody who's coming to me who's not necessarily open to that and they just want to talk it out and, you know, they just want to talk about stuff and get some ideas, you know, you know from a coaching perspective, um, the one thing I actually look at and I try to make people look at within a safe, you know, just within the realm of safe boundaries is, you know, if something is really making you anxious but it's not necessarily scaring you, maybe that's an area of challenge that you should take on and approach it to see what stepping outside of your comfort zone would do in that situation. And, you know, first, you know, for, you know, somebody who's, you know, only ever done solitary work and they're really, really anxious about, you know, their first group, you know, their first community celebration or their first community ritual or whatever that might be, just something involving other people. If that's really going to take them out of that, out of that comfort zone, I encourage them to go and do it. You know, just do it once, give it a shot. You know, when I ask them, you know, do you carry any herbs on you? Do you carry a specific crystal on you? Do you do your own showers of light to help clear out your aura and your space? You know, do you mm-hmm. do those things already as preventative care? Do those and then go into that space that's going to take you out of your comfort zone and challenge you and see how that works out for you. Um, so, you know, those are, you know, magically, those are ways that I do try to help people, you know, get from, you know, basically from their point A to point B and get over that obstacle, if that all makes sense. I just wanted to jump on a little bit there. The um, one of the important things about trauma is that the body does store, not just trauma, but any emotion. The body stores that information some places. I had an acquaintance who, when um, they had their legs massaged, they would go into the place where a trauma had been, and so they had to be with someone incredibly safe for them to um, do massage. So. I think sure. body workers, yoga instructors get surprises sometimes when people are in the child pose and start sobbing because the body has remembered something. And that's, that's just, that's both, uh, that's holistic psychotherapy that also can be magical because then you have access to this information and you could work through it energetically. But it also brings up something that is, Um, really starting to come to the forefront now. I think we see more and more articles about studies done that indicate how trauma is carried in the DNA and is passed along genetically through lines. And, you know, it's one thing to work on that on the individual level, but you can really then see how the power of spiritual and magical work can come in. Because if you can start doing some of that ancestor work and underworld mm-hmm. work and that kind of thing. You can really go in and start working on healing from a, a lot further back in order to start breaking yeah. the, even just the energetic line for it to yeah. continue to impact the present and to continue. How would you identify that with someone that that may be the level of it's now time to start doing that kind of work versus just the individual versus we need to go deeper and back further um, in order to really bring about a more desirable result from the work that's being done? Um, that would come in part from their stories. I, I think um, if it's in the ancestral line, one would think that they'd seen whatever this behavior or wound is in their own, you know, in their own lives. Um, I look at things from a rather practical, pragmatic perspective. If, you know, if they've been telling me that they've, you know, they've burned this candle, that they've carried the stone or they've talked to this person or they've, they've attempted that situation or, you know, they've done all of these things and it seems like there's still some sort of a blockage or just something that's interfering or in the way and not allowing something to manifest or like just a problem that's still lingering around, then, you know, I will see that clearly they've done everything within their current power to do that they know how to do. So something more is necessary. And at that point, that's one of our, you know, that's, that's definitely one of I start looking into, okay, you know, what's the, you know, you know, what's, you know, what's the known ans you know, what is their known ancestry? What do they know about their family? What's the background? What's the history? You know, I get much more personal, much more in depth at that point, because, you know, literally, as you know, as you've said, and as the research has been suggesting, sometimes it's not simply about you have, you know, 
a person has X problem that they can solve themselves. It, sometimes it goes deeper. Sometimes they need to look into, you know, what is, you know, what is their lineage? What is their history? Right. But I think of um, friends of mine who are um, survivors, whose families were survivors of the Holocaust, and working with that energy and uh, that understanding of um, that kind of uh, somehow it's a guilt, somehow, you know, I, I, I don't have the full feeling of what that is for them because I haven't worked with them. I just know that they are working with themselves, and uh, that's one of those powerful pieces. I feel it, um, that it's not necessarily um, DNA ancestors, but more of my, um, the ancestors of soul, um, who I was in past lives. I feel that fear of the burning time sometimes of, you know, I have to, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm out now, I'm talking, I'm saying how I'm magical, but um, that fear of, uh, of being seen and therefore being caught and therefore what will happen to me, will the mob come and take me away, um, has been a really, really big fear for a long time that I've worked with and, and um, gotten to a point where I, I'm on your show, so, <laughs> you know, so that I think there are all kinds of ancestral things that aren't just DNA. Of course, that's getting out of science, I know, but <laughs> with the, the soul DNA as well, so. Um, and, and you both kind of touched on something that I think sometimes gets lost, because uh, when we talk about mental health, People think of the brain, the mind, the head, the thoughts, et cetera, you know, and, yeah. and if we think of the typical process, it's the therapist thinking, so saying, you know, so what's going through your head right now? So what are you thinking right now? You know, mm. but what I think gets neglected a lot is how much the body can reveal to us itself and how disconnected a lot of people are from paying attention to the indications, the signs, even the help or support the body is trying to reveal. Um, right. So I'm wondering if both of you could just talk a little bit about how important the physical body is and how much it can actually reveal beyond what somebody may be trying to think in their head or feel like they don't know what to say versus being able to just go to where that's sitting in their body and talk about the sensation there, which can then point to a deeper root of something. Yeah, I think it's overriding the Descartes uh, model that I think they're right <laughs> and getting to understand that we're fully connected to our bodies. Um, I definitely see that with people like when they, they're anxious about something and their shoulders are up, tucked up above their head because you know? <laughs> they're, they're scrunched up and trying to bring it down. And they go, wow, I'm more relaxed when you shove my shoulders down a bit. <laughs> you know? So I think... Um, it's funny because you started to say the thing about the body, and I was thinking, well, what about the emotions? Because um, what I tend to talk about with people is where are they feeling and how are they connected to their feelings because they, they override their feelings with their thoughts sometimes. Um, so, don't, you think um, yeah, that the, don't, don't you think the emotions will manifest themselves physically, though, and they could actually... I think if they, they do, yeah. I can see that. I, I also see how thoughts can manifest physically. If um, people are afraid to move forward, suddenly their knees, they're having trouble with their knees because they're holding back, you know, um, but they may not fully connect that right away. Yeah, I've, you know, there have been many a session where, you know, you know whether it be, a ch you know, sitting in a chair or, you know, lying on the table where I've been working with someone and, you know, whenever I get to a specific point in their body, um, you know, I can tell that it's, you know, I can tell that, you know, any, any emotion that's been stored there and the toxins that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's making up the composition of the knot or the adhesion or whatever it might be that I'm working through, um, those, someone will, you know, you know I'll, I'll hear them take a deep breath in and then they'll just let it out as I'm working on it. And I can tell that that's more than just relaxation. That's, you know, there's a thought process that just, that just happened because I just released what was ever in that knot. Um, and then also, you know, I've, you know, I've had maybe a couple of people that have, you know, just begun crying in those moments because, you know, a thought is coming to mind. Um, and then there are times whenever, um, as much as I prefer that, you know, they don't necessarily talk that much during the session because I want them to relax and just let that thought go. 
um, whenever I reach a certain point in someone's body, if they just start articulating their thoughts, and all of a sudden I'm just I'm hearing this very random story about something because I just happen to be working on this very tight spot, and you know, in their body, and suddenly just the details of this random thought just start coming out of their mouth. It's because I'm working out. I've I've likely hit the spot on their body that contained all of that stuff. And because I'm releasing that, you know, because I'm actually releasing that physical thought and those physical toxins, I think it correlates to a thought process in the brain and the emotional, you know, the emotional connection to it. And now it's coming out verbally. You know, there's there's this whole pattern that happens from, you know, releasing the holding pattern in the body to triggering the memory in the brain to having it verbalized and coming out of the mouth. So, I mean, you know, I mean, literally, you know, you might not think of it in this way, but, you know, a lot of body workers and massage therapists are, you know, quite literally, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're non-licensed mental health care practitioners because of how much stuff, you know, we tend to hear in the course of the session that, you know, you know, at that point, you know, we can have some sympathy and we can say, you know, I'm sorry to hear that or, you know, or that's terrible or, you know, or even, you know, that's wonderful if it's a situation that's, you know, maybe causing them a little bit of stress, but they're still happy about it. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing per se. But you know, there it's still having a you know it's still being stored someplace in the body and making a physical release. And um, I'm going to add one thing in here. Something that I've actually begun doing over the course of time here in the last couple of years is based on where I'm working in the body. I will make note of it, and I will actually see what chakra I'm near on the body as I'm working, and then as I'm listening to what they might be saying or how they're just, you know, how they're breathing or how their body is changing, that kind of gives me a hint as to whether or not that area of the body where I'm working is connected to that chakra and if there might be more issues related specifically to that chakra that might need attending to. So what would be a, a suggestion that you would give to people listening as something magical they could do to support their mental health just in a general way. This isn't about looking for specific, you know, mental health issues or that kind of thing, just more what's something that they could do magically just to support in general their med their mental health. I think um, a daily practice of some kind um, where you take time to quiet yourself and to tune in to um, you know the whatever, whatever your your work is, you know, mid cast a circle and call the quarters and um, and whatever deities or archangels or um, you know ancestors or fairies, and um, just to spend a moment within and uh, listen to yourself and listen to what arises for you. Just being quiet. I think meditation is one of the most potent and um, amazing tools we have magically. And I don't know that people often realize that that is uh, a very important magical tool. That's what focusing on the candle helps us do, and the candle flame or, or on the crystal or even on the incense is to help us transcend the uh, monkey mind, if you will, and get to another level of calm. That's where the I think the wisdom can arise, and um, it it can help provide coping mechanisms for um, what's going on, or help them see. Gosh, I'm really overreacting to that. Why am I doing that? And just listen to see what the answer is. Is it a long ago experience that is still driving the situation, or or just that? Um, is something they haven't said to someone, and that's really why they're so anxious, as opposed to um, anything really um, hard to see. It's just getting quiet to see it, I think. I think that's what I would say is the most powerful thing you can do. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, the biggest thing that I tell people is to, you know, listen to their thoughts. I, I, I was agreeing with, with a lot of what Elsa was saying, and... Um, also, just you know, in terms of like the physical body, pay attention to what you're feeling, where you're feeling it, and don't you know, don't necessarily just look to have you know physical symptoms released, you know, if, especially if they keep manifesting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, pay pay attention to you know 
when it is that they manifest, how they manifest, how long are they lingering, and what does it actually take to relieve that, and then dig deeper into that scenario to be like, you know, what do I actually need to do to release this? What is this, you know, what is this, you know, what is my body trying to tell me as a hint to let go of? What do, what's not working? What, what do I need to change in this scenario to make this issue go away? Um, and then um, just, and then, and then, you know, within the intuitive, within the realm of intuitive coaching, um, I also, you know, I look at it as, um, you know, what I, what, what I keep, you know, what I tell people of is, you know, if it's, if it's a pattern that just, if it keeps repeating, there's a reason that pattern keeps repeating. So examine, examine what's in that pattern. And, you know, if something, you know, clearly if something isn't, you know, if something's not working, that's why it's repeating because it's not working. You're doing the same thing over and over again until you change whatever it is that's within that pattern that keeps it going until you change whatever it is that's causing the repetition, that pattern's not going to break. So at some point, something has to be changed in order to break that pattern to carry forward to the next place. Yeah, I'll admit I'm a, I'm a big fan of candle magic. Um, and this is where even, a, even <laughs> and I think it can be combined with those things you said because, you know, Absolutely. sitting and meditating a lot of times, lighting a candle as a focal point is a very, you know, key thing that people will do in that process. Um, and if somebody is trying to break something, you know, having a candle that they light every day, and I would tell people, you know, write that thing down, the pattern that you're trying to break so you give it a mm -hmm. form, um, mm -hmm. and attach it, like tie it to the candle so that you light the candle, you say something, saying what it is you're replacing the pattern with, um, and, and that the pattern is breaking. Uh, and then at some point, like cutting, you know, the yeah. string that's holding it and cutting the paper yeah. that is, the name is written on as kind of a physical, tangible, visceral way of seeing the magic at work in terms of actually breaking that pattern in some way. Um, you know, and so, and I toss that in because people sometimes think magic is going to be very elaborate and they would have to know all this, that, and the other and go get exotic right. things and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, well, you can do it with what's right there at your fingertips if you just think about it and then put it into that intentional use. Yes. And I think I want to tie on to mine that a lot of the daily practice helps you with the awareness of what it is that is bothering you or the pattern you're trying to break and then I yes of course I would go with you know something you're saying I also am a big fan of burning things so <laughs> I will write the thing down on the piece symbol and then burn the paper to release it and break my bond with it as well so uh, um, yeah very good point I hadn't uh, progressed to that next level but that makes a lot of sense so as we move to the close of our conversation there is something I do at the end of each conversation that I have, and I know it's a surprise for both of you, so you're going to have to be spontaneous and improvise. Um, oh, boy. And so <laughs> there is a, there's a question that a previous guest has asked, not knowing who would get to the question, and that's the question I'm going to pose to you. And then I'm going to ask each of you for a question that I will then pose to a future guest. The question is, that I'm going to ask is from my guest, actually I think two months ago, Karen Krebser, um, who was speaking about ancestor reverence, how appropriate. Uh, and um, her question is this. The dimension we live in is only one of many. As many potentialities as there are, choices, actions, etc., that we've made. If this is true, there are just as many versions of you. Mm -hmm. If you met one of those versions, how would that version be different from you? Mm. Well, I think um, the version of me that I'd meet would be the one that actually became a rock star <laughs> and actually did all the singing that I do in the car. <laughs> that I have done in public too, but I think she'd be more of a rock star. And I definitely would have purple hair. Um, my approach to this is a little bit different, but it's just what's coming to mind, so I'm going with it. Um, the version of me that I would meet would be the version of me that I actually have been earlier in this life, about 15 years ago, whenever I was trying to make my way through a career in the banking and financial world. And I would want to see that version of me 
had it not, you know, had that version of me not lost the jobs and run into the obstacles that I ran into on that path that have brought me here, um, I would want to see that version of me that didn't run into the obstacles and just stayed on that path but not nearly as happy as he would be, you know, if he were in my shoes now. I would want to see that mm-hmm. version. Yeah, that feels like the same as mine. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, this question really spurred for me because it it, it would be a great exercise to do in some sort of meditation or visualization practice because we often do meditations where we go to like meet our spirit guides or that kind of thing. And it would be interesting to do this process of going into some sort of meditative state to kind of move between those different dimensions and encounter our other selves yeah i think that's amazing mm. yeah it'd be amazing to do maybe they would even be able to help us uh overcome well, exactly that they overcame yeah right right so like now that. to follow that up you each have to now pose a question for a future guest hmm there's two ideas that are coming to me, and one's now silly and one's serious, so I'm trying to decide. I think I'll go with silly because we talked a lot about very deep things and working with hard issues and how to work with them. I would say um, if, um, if you could have any superpower, what would your superpower be and, and what would your action hero um, costume be? <laughs> I think I'm going to go the silly route as well. I will go with the with an Olympic theme and ask the question of diving or water polo and why. Well, Elsa Elliott and Fred Isom, thank you so much for having spent some time to talk about this topic. Uh, and uh, perhaps each of you could remind us how people can contact you and find out more information about you and maybe just say what kind of services and things that you offer. I'm lead minister of Scorpio at the Temple of Witchcraft, so um, if you're interested or curious in death, dying, grief, and bereavement, or ancestor veneration, or sacred sexuality, my ministry provides various uh, services and classes in that area, and you can find out about us at templeofwitchcraft.org, and you can look under... um, there's a pull-down menu that will have the different ministries, and you can look at Scorpio to see what our various, uh, particularly our grief and bereavement um, services are, and we have resources up there too. And we also host Death Cafes. It's, um, we host them separate from the temple because Death Cafe doesn't want to be associated with religion, so we uh, invite everyone to come and talk about death, but it's important that it's important work that we make space for, even though it's not directly under the temple. And I also um, am involved with something called Cat and Dragon Healing Sanctuary, and that's on Facebook, where I do various um, ways of helping people face their inner um, conundrums and feelings and emotions. I don't want to say demons, but sometimes they could be, (laughs) and help them find empowering ways to uh, work through them. And and say the name of that. Facebook page again? The Facebook page is Cat and Dragon Healing Sanctuary. Well, actually, my connection with Elsa is that we both have to be members of the temple. So that's my connection with her and how we know each other. And um, as far as my services are concerned, if you're in the greater Boston area and you want to reach me for a massage or body work, I can be found in the greater Boston area. And as far as my intuitive coaching is concerned, if you just want to look me up on Facebook and you know find me through my regular page, you can drop me a line there. I'm easily found through, uh, I'm easily found through Facebook at the moment. So they can just look up Fred Isom, I-S-O-M, and send a message to you that way through Facebook. Absolutely. A thousand gratitudes to each of you for taking the time to talk about this today. Thank you for asking us. It was uh, it's a very important topic, I think. My thanks to Elsa Elliott and Fred Isom for joining me today to talk about this very interesting and, and subject. And Stay tuned because coming up our segment where you have a chance to call in and receive a reading live on the air, 
If you'd like to get into a queue for that, you can do so by connecting in from the show page, or you can call 646-716-5510. My name is Hi C. Stay tuned. Standing in a crowded room and I can't see your face. Put your arms around me, tell me everything's okay. In my mind, I'm running around a cold and empty space. Just put your arms around me, tell me. listening to the Amethyst Oracle Divination with a Queer Twist. Find out more at facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. Enjoy the show. The Amethyst Amethyst Oracle. Oracle. Divination with a Queer Twist. Divination with a Queer Twist. The Amethyst Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please join us next time for Convergence with John Carousella, Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m.